I'm Haley Lamb, host of Teaching History, where history teachers from the local high schools share stories from the past. I'm guest host Chandra Tharp. They say history repeats itself. Aaron Thornton, history teacher from West Mesquite High School, gives some great examples of this that we can relate to today. The story I chose is the collapse of the Bronze Age because it's kind of, it's pretty pertinent to our situation that we find ourselves now in this industrial, technological information age. And what I mean by that is the civilizations that found themselves on the wrong end of this collapse are not dissimilar to us. They were global powers as they understood it, massive regional powers, industrial powers to the limits that they were. They weren't rural communities. They were cultural centers. They were interconnected culturally, multi-ethnic civilizations, and they were all connected to one another through trade, science, writing, religions, climate change affected them, and so on and so on, which I'll get more into. Uh, but generally, just think it's really interesting, personally, to see like the the parallels between their civilizations, particularly in this example, their falls, their collapses, so to speak, and some of the hurdles that our own faces today. So the start, like you kind of have to have context, like what is the Bronze Age? Bronze Age is kind of between 3,300 BCE, which is before Common Era, through 1,200 before Common Era. So anything after year zero would be Common Era, which is what we live in now. When we say Bronze Age, most people think of like ancient history. So they're thinking pyramids because that's when the pyramids were built. They're thinking, you know, the Temple of Karnak. That's when it was built in... Mesopotamia, they're thinking Babylon, they're thinking the Akkadian Empire, Mycenae Greece. And what Mycenae Greece is, is that's the Greek civilizations that we think of whenever anyone says Greek, like history of Greek culture, because what's the number one thing that you think of when someone says, oh, what do you know about ancient Greece? You think of the mythological heroes, Theseus, Hercules, Jason and the Argonauts, the Trojan War. So everything that Homer, who's the guy that kind of put down the oral tradition of the Trojan War and the Iliad and the Odyssey with Odysseus, he's referencing what to him is ancient Greece, which is this Mycenaean Greek culture that's part of the Bronze Age. Because when Homer is alive, this was already very, very old to him, which is why they don't know everything and they kind of mythologize it. They try to kind of explain the things they don't understand. That's where we get like our concepts like the ancient Greek gods and stuff like that and the the supernatural to explain and kind of fill in the gaps. So that's the Mycenaean Greeks, which is probably the civilization that we as a Western culture are most familiar with, if not also the ancient Egyptians within building the pyramids. So that's kind of our context of what the Bronze Age is. And then obviously it's called the Bronze Age because the primary metal work was with bronze, so bronze tools, bronze weapons, bronze armor, etc. The The cool bronze stuff that we're all used to seeing when we look this kind of stuff up. So like the Mycenaean Greeks, like I already mentioned, during this time frame, it's called kind of like the Age of Heroes or the Heroic Era of Greece. That's what Homer would have referred to it as, and then that's even what the later Roman historians like Plutarch and his contemporaries refer to it as. Guys like Hercules, Theseus, Jason, Achilles, Odysseus, all the big names that we think of, Atalanta. That's all from this era to try to ground where we're at. 
So what these great powers are, and to be clear, like this is all like kind of the Mediterranean world. Obviously, the world's a big place and there's people all over it, even at this point. So like what's going on in like the Americas isn't going to mirror this. What's going on through most of Africa is not going to mirror this. Same for Central and Eastern Asia. So this is a primarily Mediterranean phenomenon, not even like Northern Europe or Central Europe. This is, we're talking Italy, we're talking Greece, Turkey, Egypt, and the Middle East to kind of give us a ground. So the great powers at that time would be Mesopotamia. But when we say Mesopotamia, we're really talking about like Akkad, um, which is the Akkadian Empire or the Akkadian Empire, however people want to pronounce it. I've heard it both ways, uh, which we typically attribute to Sargon. That's kind of like our first multicultural empire where we're seeing more than one like ethnic group, more than one culture group kind of living together. We've got Assyria, which is Syrians are still around today, as kind of the name suggests, they're in Syria. Uh, it's just an ethnic group today, but back then it was a giant empire. They're one of those cool ones that we kind of like because they're incredibly violent and they write down everything that they did and said and both. So like we have a lot that we can look back and say like, oh, this happened then or this happened then, this guy did this. And like whether or not it's embellished, and which it most certainly is embellished because everything is embellished from this era, unlike a lot of places, we do have that record. So we have Assyria, we have Greece, of course, as I already mentioned. We've got ancient Egypt, uh, the Egypt that everyone is familiar with when we think of ancient Egypt pyramids, the Sphinx. You have Ramses II, Ramses III. We have the Hittites, which is an empire that's in modern-day Turkey. Back then it would have been called Anatolia. It's referred to Anatolia until actually Turkey is formed as a nation. And then you have like some other groups like the Mitanni, but um, they don't really factor into like Western ideas of civilizations as much as these others do. So the important thing to remember with the collapse is it's not the collapse, even though that's kind of what we call it. And that's just kind of like a, a it's called a historical shorthand because like if I talk to like another historian or someone who's like interested in this area or whatever, and I say, oh, the Bronze Age collapse, they know the era that I'm talking about. When you're looking into this in depth, it's a nonlinear progression, meaning not everything happens one after another. It, you can't think of it as like a domino effect where oh, an earthquake happened, so then they ran out of food, and then this happened. A lot of these things happen either concurrently with one another, they did happen in succession with another, they may have happened in this region, but not this region, and just kind of important to remember that history is a timeline, but it's a convoluted one in that it's not a linear path. Just like we see here, like we have stuff going on here, but we have an entire war going on in U- Ukraine. So that's important to remember this. So there are several different theories on kind of what caused the collapse of these civilizations. And none of them can be proven to be like, oh, this is the, a definitive reason why. Because we're talking a time span of at some level four to 5,000 years ago. So this happened a long, long time ago, probably nearer to the four to 3,000 range, which is still an astronomical time. I mean, we still don't fully understand everything that happened here in the American continents, and that's a much more recent time frame, relatively speaking. So some of the theories would be like earthquakes. And the reason why earthquakes would be a kind of a big deal is besides the natural destructions that they cause the cities, they can also disrupt production and stuff like that. Which kind of goes back to my earlier point that like these were, relatively speaking, industrial powers. 
And what they had were called in several places, especially Greece. This is particularly relevant to they had what's called like um I mean I forget the official name, but essentially it's like a temple economy. And what that means is their cities were built around a central building, which would be like a palace slash temple, because that's kind of like the center of their their community. So all the products that this particular city would make, whether they're primarily agrarian world or they make commodities out of stuff, say bronze swords, for example, they would go first to the central building and then from there they're distributed either to the population or they're sent to other cities to trade for other things or just money. So where earthquakes come in is, you know, beyond just the destruction that an earthquake causes, it also disrupts that flow of uh, commerce. But, I don't say but a lot, but that's because, unfortunately, th- with this story, we don't have a lot of clear-cut answers, and it's really our best guess on what some of the evidence shows. And with this one, all these civilizations that I've mentioned, they've always gone through earthquakes before. So we can confidently say earthquakes are not the primary reason why it failed or collapsed. One theory that's been put forth, which is backed up by some geological evidence, is what's called an earthquake storm, which is like a rapid succession of earthquakes. And that's, I mean, it's pretty easy to understand kind of the concept of that. You have an earthquake, and then very rapidly you have another earthquake, and then very rapidly you have another earthquake. We see this a lot around kind of like the Italian area and kind of the Greek area, which makes sense because those have been geologically unstable areas in the past. I mean, we know that there's volcanoes in the Italian area. We know that Greece is, you know, a very mountainous region. We know how mountains are formed. So this all makes sense to us. Uh, So we can confidently say earthquake storms would have played a role in this. Other theories would be climate change, which is probably the most um, hot button one that we would think of today, especially as we have our own debate on whether or not climate change is happening. But we do have evidence that there were a lot of droughts during this period. There's a cave in Israel known as the Sorek Cave that is used for geoclimate studies. And it, we have it's like 150,000, 160,000 years of climate data where we can basically judge based on what the water levels were on the stones by geodating it, which is you know far above my level. I just have a very like, oh, I know what this is, but I have no idea how it works or how they do it. We can kind of tell where like the sea levels were and stuff and what the precipitation levels were of the areas. And what we know is around this time from 3,000 to 1,200, there was a large drought in this Mediterranean area. Drought's easy to explain. I mean, we're talking about desertification. We're talking about crops failing. We're talking about shortages of water, which we all have to have. Anatolia has areas that are very arid. Egypt has areas that are very arid. So... Climate change is an easy one. Crops depend on climate zones in order to grow, especially to a level that you need in order to feed uh, an entire city or an entire civilization. Once those start failing, now we start seeing things start to break down, which is kind of what comes into our next one. This is where our domino effect can kind of come into play for our next three, actually. So our first one being we have migrations and invasions of peoples from other parts of the world coming into this area. Climate change can't explain why that would occur. As their climate zones start to change on them and they're no longer able to support themselves there, they have a choice. They either die or they move to a place where they can support themselves. So we have what they would have referred to as barbarian groups. We know, you know are just various different ethnic groups and other peoples 
are moving into these areas. People like the Dorian Greeks would be an example of this. Or the Scythians, who show up time and time again during uh, the Greeks' history after Greek culture kind of builds itself back up after this collapse. You'll hear them talk about the Scythians all the time, which are these nomadic horse lords, which is kind of where we get our ideas of like the Huns, the Mongols that are going to come into our civilized worlds later on. And I say civilized with quotes, kind of into our Western worlds and later points. The Scythians are like a precursor, of course, without going too much into it. The Greeks refer to any nomadic horse group as Scythians. That's just a blanket term for them. Although to them, they were all Scythians. It's complicated, and that's a whole other story. So we have this invasion of, and migration of peoples coming into these areas. For a long time, this was kind of the accepted main reason of why these Bronze Age civilizations in the Mediterranean collapsed, is that they weren't able to contend with these nomadic and semi-nomadic groups moving in, and they're referred to as the Sea Peoples, S-E-A. And that comes from some inscriptions that like Ramses II and Ramses III of Egypt had written down about their triumphs over these sea peoples as they were able to keep them out of Egypt, whereas other civilizations were not able to keep them out of their cities and their cities were burned down and civilization collapsed. We know today that, yes, there were migrations, there were invasions. We have plenty of writings to support that from you know the aforementioned Ramses, both two and three, but we also have them from the Cypriots, Cyprus being a uh, civilization in the, the Syria region, we have them from Anatolia when the Hittites collapsed, which is, again, our Anatolian situation. We have the Assyrians who are writing about fighting these certain groups and coming into contact with them at different times. So we know that there were migrations. We know that there were invasions. The extent to which they were responsible for the collapse, that has changed for us as scholars over the decades as we've learned more and more about this. Our second kind of factor that can be affected by climate change is all these civilizations didn't exist in a vacuum to one another. They all not only were just aware of each other, but were economically dependent on one another. They were trading constantly. We have writings, jewelry, goods that are developed in, say, Egypt. We find them in archaeological sites in Syria. We find them in Greece. We find them in Mesopotamia. You name it. We find it if they're in this group. And actually, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, the Hittites, and the Matani are referred to as the Club of Great Powers. So, you know, they're all very interconnected and so interconnected that their entire civilizations at this point are dependent on one another. They're dependent on each other for industry, their goods, their ways of life. They become very specialized in what they produce themselves because they're producing one commodity that they're going to trade to this next city for another commodity. And both are going to kind of flourish that way. But they're not really self-reliant uh, on themselves as far as able to take care of all their own needs. So with that, we have our kind of our enveloping term of it's called a systems collapse. And this is where all the like the economic systems, the social economic systems all kind of collapse on each other. They're no longer able to trade. They have climate change, they have invasions, you know, they have destruction in their own cities. So their economic systems start to collapse. Well, once their economic systems start to collapse, we start to see food shortages. With food shortages, we start to see with that temple economy where the food is all centralized in one central location primarily well who's looking out for who at that point typically the elite who live in this area are going to hoard that for themselves and we start to see internal rebellions going on in these places we have writings of this going on where 
we have one king receiving like a letter from his son, basically asking like, what happened to my city? And the response being like, our own people destroyed it. Like they burned it down. And this is kind of pertinent to us today, in my opinion, because within like the last five or so years, we've seen a lot of movements of increasing taxation on you know, the wealthier class within our own societies. You know, we all see the taglines, eat the rich, stuff like that. This would be an example of that. But we've seen this in other stories, too. We've seen this, probably most notably to your listeners, will be the French Revolution, where you have Marie Antoinette erroneously being quoted as saying, let them eat cake when she's talking about starving peasants. We've seen this in Rome, where the Roman citizens, especially the wealthy Roman citizens, essentially stop paying taxes to the state. They stop volunteering for the state legions. And now you have a very disaffected working class kind of being taken advantage of. Well, here we're seeing a disaffected working class no longer being fed. So what do you do? You rise up. We know this happens in Egypt particularly because Ramses III writes about how he has to deal with this rebellion because the people who were building like the pyramids and the giant tombs for the pharaohs and the kings rebelled, stopped building tombs, and instead started raiding them. But we also know what they were selling the loot for. They were buying food with it, food shortages. We've also seen this in a uh, city in the Levant, the Levant being like modern-day Syria, Jordan, Jerusalem, what we would think of as the Middle East, what the medieval Europeans will think of as the Holy Land, that area. It's called the Levant. That's the geographical region. There's a Canaanite city there called Hazer that's also destroyed by an internal rebellion. And we have literary and archaeological evidence of that, you know, people who that survived, that wrote about it. But also there's something called a destruction layer, uh, which is basically where you go into these archaeological ruins and you can kind of see like burn lines or just evidence of like structural collapse. It's more than just decay, but it's actual like a traumatic event happening to a building. So we have these destruction lines in these areas. Another city that we have destruction lines on is Troy, which we all know from the Trojan War. It has two destruction lines. So someone destroyed it, rebuilt it, and then it got destroyed again. Probably the Trojan War that Homer's talking about, which to him is also just a very ancient legend because he's coming around much, much, much later afterwards. And he's just talking about what he's been told, which has been an oral legend passed down. But Troy's real and Mycenae's real. So it's very logical that there was some form of Greek versus Trojan War. We can say for certainty that our supernatural elements of that story aren't real. But was there an Achilles? Possible to some degree which I'll try not to go on a tangent on. So the people who survived this collapse would ultimately recover enough to rebuild or create new civilizations. So the Greece that we will come to know with like Alexander or the Athenians and Spartans who fought off the Persians, the Romans who would later come through and you know conquer all of Italy versus you know the Latins and the Etruscans, they're all survivors of this collapse. So we're going to start seeing these new civilizations that we're very familiar with that even I, when I was learning about this, didn't know that there was a collapse in a space between the heroic age of Greece and what we think of as Greece. And we kind of feel like it blends together, even though there's several hundred, if not to a thousand years separation there. So we have our modern ideas of civilization that are going to start coming from the result of this that are going to kind of build up our modern world. They're the ones living in this kind of vacuum that's left in the Mediterranean. 
Another big one is the Phoenician alphabet is going to overtake the Mycenaean and the Minoan alphabets, which are two ancient Greek ones. The Phoenician alphabet is going to be adopted throughout kind of the Mediterranean world, and it's going to influence a lot of alphabets, including the new Greek one, and that's going to lead to our own alphabet and our own writing systems. So this collapse, it affects us in the way that it affects even us as Americans or English-speaking people, anyone who has the same alphabet that we do. This is where our alphabet is going to start to come into being because a new system replacing old systems that fade to a point where we can't even translate Mycenaean or Minoan text. There's no script for us. There's no cipher, unlike what you have with hieroglyphics in the Rosetta Stone. We also have to kind of come to terms with our own interconnectivity economically in our modern world. If something were to happen to China, the United States would collapse. We don't make our own stuff here. Similarly, if something were to happen to the United States where we're not able to buy stuff from China, China's economy would just implode because no one's buying their stuff at the level that we are. We're already kind of seeing this with the conflict going on in Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine grows a lot of the world's wheat, and we're seeing very intelligent people, very smart people whose job is to kind of understand the logistics of this thing. Like, if we don't find a solution to the loss of Ukrainian wheat right now with Ukrainian farmers having to you know, kind of defend our land against Russians and vice versa, whatever you want, however you want to phrase it, there might be like, or there will be world's hunger shortages that are worse than what we're already dealing with. And that kind of just goes with like the interconnectivity between these great powers and our own where you take one link out of that chain and it all kind of starts to collapse, which is exactly what we theorize happened with these Eastern Mediterranean powers. You know, you remove a Mycenae, now you have issues throughout the rest of Greece. So once you start to lose an Athens, once you start to lose a Thebes, a Pylos, a Troy, whatever, now you're starting to lose cities in Syria. Now you're starting to lose cities in Anatolia. Now you're starting to see kind of a recession of Egyptian cities because it is important to note that like, Egypt itself survives this collapse. It has to kind of remake itself. And this is where they go into one of their transition periods where you see them go from like the new kingdom to the transitional kingdom or whatever. They all have different names. The Assyrians also survive. They just recede also and kind of pull their borders back. So there is some survival from this collapse, even though it's still a transition. If, you know, you take one chain out of our modern logistics train, does everyone turn into nomadic savages scraping to survive? Probably not, especially as you know we ourselves are able to transition to reliance more so. But that's not going to be a painless transition. Similar to climate change, we know that the climate has changed on this planet in the past. And we have too much evidence of that. I mean, sustained periods of droughts that might last for a couple centuries, like we've seen from the Sorek cave. We kind of need to come to terms, number one, are we as a human race going to accept is climate change real or not? If we accept that it is, we need to kind of also come to terms with what can we do to affect it? How can we kind of prevent ourselves from going down the same road that we've seen from civilizations in the past? But there's also kind of this finality I think I like with the story, which is helpful for me, is like you can't hold on to it too tightly, meaning you can't hold on to what you have built up too tightly because from the time we started recording human history 10,000 years ago, we've seen rises and falls, rises and falls, rises and falls. And sometimes what fell is gone forever. But a lot of the time what falls results in something new. And that's just kind of the way human civilization works. We're 
pretty hard to kill off completely. I mean, we're pretty stubborn. And we just kind of have to figure out where we're going to be should this collapse. Thanks for joining us on Teaching History. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on the newest episode, subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or podcast.com.